Welcome into the At The Yard Podcast. Today's guest is University of Nevada head coach T.J. Bruce, who takes us through his playing days into his transition of coaching that included stops as an undergrad assistant, a J.C. coach, a volunteer coach before getting a call that changed his life and ultimately landing his first head coaching job at the University of Nevada. All that and much more on episode 58 of the At The Yard Podcast. Welcome back to the At The Yard Podcast. Really excited about today's guest, University of Nevada head coach T.J. Bruce joins me. T.J., thanks for making some time, man, and hopping on the podcast with me. No problem, Les. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. So, you know, like everybody else, uh, pretty crazy time. I mean, I got to imagine for you, it's the first time you've been off a ball field on uh, this time of year, this springtime for sure. I mean, better part of your life, I got to imagine. So what sort of things are you doing to you know, not only keep yourself sharp, but keep yourself busy, and uh, you know how, how you and the family holding up. Family's great. Uh, you know, it's it's been it's definitely for everybody. It's just it's just a new, it's our new normal, and and uh, you know we got four kids to keep us pretty busy. Um, so we've we've just been spending a lot of family time, been a lot of outdoors activities, um, whether it's been on the lake or. Um, you know, we built our kids a BMX track in our front yard. Um, we have enough space to do it. So that was pretty cool. But uh, other than that, it's just been trying to soak up really the time with my family. I know it's, it's, it's not, it's hard to come by, um, especially in in most, in most families, um, with how busy we all are. So just trying to soak that up and use the opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You know, I, I really wanted to have you on the podcast, TJ, because, I mean, your story to me is, is awesome, right? I mean, it's a story of, I mean, to me, you know, perseverance, you know, self-belief and, you know, wanting something so bad, you know, you, you just got to go and get it, man. And, and you know, I want to start at the beginning, man, your, your high school days at St. John Bosco. I mean, you know, league MVP, junior, senior year, you know, really talented player. You guys won a league championship, I believe, if I'm not mistaken there, um, you know, and, and, you know, the private schools, especially now, I mean, with St. John Bosco being in the Trinity League, you know, how was that? How did that level of competition prepare you for, you know, what you saw later as a player? Yeah, you know, it was um, it was a great experience for me going there. Uh, I loved every minute of high school. Um, I loved where I went to high school. You know, it was a little little different path because I didn't go to the local public school. Um, which at that point was was probably the best team potentially in our era our area Um, I would say it was St. John Bosco and Lakewood High School and there was always some at some point I think the road would have met up uh, in the postseason if we would have continued to win which would have been pretty cool Um, but I went to St. John Bosco I played for a really good really good high school coach and, and Chris Johnville, who I've known, I, I've known a lot. He coached my cousin. So I had a chance to, to, to know him prior to playing there. But, uh, I, I just, I think he, he really prepared us for what was to come ahead, whether that was junior college or four year school. Um, I mean, we, we ran, a, he played for Ken Gaylord at Long Beach city before, uh, coach Gaylord went to Cerritos who I ended up playing for at Cerritos college too. So, it was a, a college system, uh, college ran practice. Um, you know, we had to, 
we had to wear stirrups and sanitaries, you know, <laughs> which in that, I think in every day and age now, nothing never happens. And that was just part of one of his disciplines. Um, so, and then obviously playing in the league. I mean, that was the first year. So my senior year, we went into, we went into that league, uh, modern day, Santa Margarita, Servite. And I believe that was it. And St. John Bosco, I believe it was only a four team league. So you, you played, believe this or not, you played every team four times. Wow. Uh, which was crazy. You know, I, I thought, I think they do it, maybe it's three times. No, we played everybody four times. Um, and we won the league for the first time in that, in that, for the, uh, the first year of existence. So that was pretty cool. Um, just going through that and playing against guys like Sergio Santos and Chris Ricks, who ended up being a big time quarterback at Florida State. And, um, Chris Malik, who obviously was at Santa Margarita, um, there was all kinds of players in that league, and I just, I just thought it just continued, you know, it paved the way for us to continue playing at a higher level and, and kind of seeing those guys and seeing the way the teams ran. And but I mean, I, I thank my coach, my high school coach, for what he's done for me personally. He's now at St. Anthony's. Um, so I just what he did for us was was invaluable. You talk talk about the decision there. You touched on it that you played at Cerritos College, and yep. you know because you know this is all part of your story, right? And I, I think it's really fascinating. And so talk about that. You know, going to Cerritos College. I mean, obviously we you know we I mentioned there that you know you were league MVP, and um, you know I'm I'm certain that there were some other opportunities, but. You know, what led you there? I mean, you, you've always been kind of open and candid about this. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear about that decision. Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, it's funny because when you're going through the recruiting process in high school, you know, every level the game speeds up. Uh, and so I think when you're in the moment, you're like, man, I'm really good. I'm ready. I'm this and that. And Gosh, I just I wasn't physically ready um, to move on, and then the other part is I wasn't ready. I didn't take school serious enough to move on. So um, I was a non what they would call now a non qualifier. Um, you know, I didn't do well enough in my SATs. I didn't do well enough in school. Um, I didn't put a value on it. I thought, um, you know, I think as some athletes, maybe not more today, but I think as some athletes do think it's. Oh, I don't need to do it. I'm good enough. They're going to take me no matter what. And um, so that's what led to my decision. I had to go to, I had to go to the JC route and, and do it. I wouldn't say the hard way. I thought it was for me, it was, it was the best way for me to go was to go and learn the college game, um, step out of my comfort zone. And now you're going into a JC, which at Cerritos college, I mean, the, the long, long list of the guys ahead of you, um, going up to Wally Kincaid started that program and to George Horton, to Dave Serrano, to Dave Snow, to Mike Weathers. I mean, you just, the list goes on and up. Bill Mosiello, the list just keeps going. So um, to learn and be a bird and, and what that meant just made, paved the way for me to get into Division One baseball. Yeah, and, and you ended up going there to Division One baseball to Texas Tech and mm-hmm. I mean, pretty strong season, man. I mean, they hit 321, you know, a few, a few home runs. 11 doubles. What what prompted you after that uh, 2003 season to, you know, make a decision to come back home to Long Beach State? Yeah, it was um, it was good. I, I loved it. I actually had some family in Lubbock, believe it or not. Um, 
so I was pretty familiar with Lubbock, Texas. My grandparents, uh, my grandma's still alive and um, is there. My grandpa's buried there. Uh, you know, so we, I have been in Lubbock, Texas growing up. So ironic enough, I got a picture when I was less than a year old in a Texas Tech sweatshirt. <laughs> um, so fast forward, you know, 20 years and you end up going to school there. But it was great. I, I had a I personally, I had a really good year. Uh, you know, I, I think you can only not not that it was a dream year per se, personally, but I thought it was good, man. I thought um, for being in that league and the Big Twelve and playing those guys, I thought it was a good year. But there just there was two folds to it. Um, one of them was, and this uh, this is honest. One of them was, you know, there was a, there was just there was there has to be a fit for the player and the staff. And this, I don't think necessarily I was a fit. And that's, and that's partially when you get into recruiting at some point, uh, what a lot of people don't understand, because you just read the numbers and you're like, I don't understand why you weren't there the next year. Um, so we, we mutually agreed to part ways. Um, and it wasn't, um, it was nothing against that staff, um, nothing against the school. I love the school, I love the city. Uh, but it just wasn't really a fit. And the other, the other deal was, is I just wanted to win. Uh, we went 30 and 25 that year. We didn't even make the big 12 tournament for the first time in X amount of years at that school. So, mm -hmm. and, and then the second part was I wanted to win. Um, I grew up in long beach. Uh, my family didn't get a chance to see me play a whole lot. Uh, and I, I've always wanted to be a dirt bag. And that was where, that was where my my heart and soul was was um, and I think part of that was was growing up there. The other part was you go to Cerritos College and you know at that time and maybe a little before that time there was two places you went out of Cerritos, Cal State Fullerton and Long Beach State because of the connections and Horton and Snowman went through there. Um, so that was that was the other part and i just wanted to win i could have cared less if i played um i was at that point where i proved to myself that i could play at this level um but i just wanted to win i wanted to be i wanted to be somewhere where i can win and then ultimately i wanted to be back home and i used to ride my bike and watch those guys you know the brian kennedys and the bobby crosby's and you know all these guys play before me so it's like why not be a part of that yeah, no, no doubt. So you come back and you guys have some success. You make it to the Supers on what was, I mean, an absolutely loaded Dirtbags team there. And, you know, you played kind of a, a uh, I mean, sparingly, right? I mean, for lack of better terms, I mean, not, not necessarily an everyday guy, not necessarily, you know, in the lineup all the time. But how, how did that impact you impact you as a player right i mean you go from you know we talked about all the accolades in in high school and then jc ball and then a really strong year at texas tech to coming back to kind of being a role player right for the dirtbags yeah you know it was interesting going through that the re-recruiting process per se and I, you know you you do your due diligence and you reach out to some schools and um but ultimately i knew where i wanted to go um, so my best friend growing up was a guy by the name of Mike Hofius. Uh, we, sheesh, we met in the fifth grade. Um, he was the best man at my wedding. Um, so we, we go way back and I called him. I said, Hey, uh, I'm leaving. I'm transferring. I, I want to go to long beach. I go, can you connect me with, um, 
you know, the coaches. So ironically enough, as you probably will get into the story down the road, but ironically enough, Troy Buckley recruited me out of high school at Santa Clara. Um, so there, when he was the assistant there, so there was a little bit of a connection. Now I couldn't get into school. Um, so I ended, I ended up going through Troy a little bit and then coach Weathers obviously was pretty involved in me being an infielder, um, was involved. And so I remember going to practice there in 2003 in that fall, they were getting ready to go to Stanford for the supers. And I went to practice and we met up and, uh, he gave me a scholarship right off the bat. And at that point you can have them for the fall and the spring, you know, so I got a fall scholarship so we can touch on that too at some point, but I got a fall scholarship, um, and that, that's really what happened. I mean, and then I went in, I went into Long Beach and I, I, I guess not, not self assessing yourself and your skills. You just think you're better than everybody. I mean, I, 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 I think that's what it was. I was like, I don't really care, you know, and coach was really honest about, Hey, we got a guy that's a pretty good shortstop here. He started here as a freshman. Um, I, I don't see him changing, but you can beat him out if you want, you know, the whole deal. But um, there was two jobs open, the third base job and the second base job um, off of a super regional team. So I was like, hey, I'm going to take my chances. Um, I'm going to play short here. I'm going to play short. Well, fast forward, the shortstop was Troy Tulowitzki. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, you know, get, so Troy and I actually worked out together all summer, which was he ended up um, staying home for whatever reason after the super regional. And uh, him and I ended up working out all summer. So we developed a really good relationship. Uh, we're best friends to this day. Uh, and I just ended up playing a role on the team that that's what they needed. I, I mean, part of it was lack of performance. I hit 187 as a senior. I mean, so I couldn't really ask to be in the lineup um, every day. But I think I started 31 or 32 games, so half the year. And um, I think I played in 47 games. So. I mean, I was on the board to play just about every day, and I think the real reason was is because of my defense. Um, that was the real reason that I was on the board to play. And, and I knew if I didn't start, then I was at some point going to do something um, throughout the day, uh, whether it's warm up and I didn't get in or I went in in the seventh inning um, if I didn't start. But I, I think the versatility helped. Um, but it was tough. It was tough at first. You know, I remember going to Cal. We opened up at Cal. And Friday, you don't see your name in the lineup. And Saturday, you don't see your name in the lineup. You're like, holy cow, what happened? Um, and then I ended up playing on Sunday. and um, so that, But that's what it was. That's what my role was. And I think that was an early you know, early indication as to, into how understanding roles in the game. And, and that's where it really started for me was in 2004. And now that I look back, it was a, in, it was a start into my coaching career. Um, a little bit you know I relieved I think I played shortstop there for two innings the whole year Um, it was against Santa Barbara in an extra inning game believe it or not Um, but other than that I played primarily third base and second most of the time Um, sometimes I played three all three of that I think that one game I played all three um, at some point during the game Um, so it was good. It was great. It was a great experience. I'm super close with Coach Wellers. Um, he's a father figure to me. So, um, and then it led me into my career now. You know, you talked you, you talked about that a little bit there about you know it kind of 
kick-started for you, you know, the coaching stuff. And was it at that point that you started thinking, hey, maybe coaching is in my future? You know, I, I wasn't really sure. I knew I wanted to be around the game, but I wasn't really sure. I, I always I have this saying, and I got it from Dennis Rogers, is the game's going to retire you. Uh, and so after that year, you had, to, you had to do a little bit of soul-searching. You know, I still had a year of school left um, academically. Uh, I knew I had to get a job. You know, my parents did a really good job supporting me up until I was done playing. And then basically once I was done playing, it was either, hey, you're either going to play a sport or you're going to get a job. Um, so I had to go get a part-time job, and I didn't know where to start. Obviously, I'm 22 years old, and I had no idea what to do. Um, so coach called and was like, hey, I got an undergraduate job position open. Um, I'd love for you to come back. And I didn't really want to go back. To be honest, I uh, I was like, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to get in the real world. I'm going to go make money, as we all think. And um, so he called three times. The first two, I denied the call, or I didn't deny the call. I just denied the opportunity. And then the third time, he called and said, hey, this is my last time. I'm not going to call you again. Um, I was actually driving to downtown Disney. I'll never forget it. Um, and he goes, hey, I found you a part-time job. You'll make – it'll be hourly – um, you'll work in the morning from 5 a.m. to 1 o'clock. And I'm like, 5 a.m. to 1 o'clock? Yeah, that's I can. That's easy, man. I can do that. Um, well, that's a lot tougher than people think at times. <laughs> um, so I ended up getting a job down at the docks off of the, um, off of the 710 down there. And I worked from 5 to 1 o'clock and ended up coming back and being the undergraduate. And that's where I really started to say, okay, this is what I want to do. But there again, there's a lot, there's a learning curve because I think the outside world thinks coaching is just cool, you know, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to dress cool. I'm going to have cool shoes. I'm going to wear the polo. Um, but you know, that's, that's just surface. That's not, that's not, if you want to dive into the weeds, you know, that's not what it is. And, um, but that's where I wanted to, that's where I started getting the passion for it. And then at the end of the year in 05, um, I didn't get fired, but he just said, Hey, you got to go. Um, you need to figure out if you want to coach. Um, so I went to Cerritos college. Yeah. And, and so talk about that experience, right? Because you go from being an undergrad assistant to a, you know, Cerritos college where you're, you're a paid assistant. And I'm sure, you know, that's probably your first introduction to being on the other side of recruiting, right? Yeah. You know, I went back to Cerritos college, um, there again, I think just from playing at those two schools, I didn't want to really go anywhere else. I had no desire to coach anywhere else. I wanted to either be at Cerritos College or I wanted to be at Long Beach State, one of the two. I mean, that's what, what, what it was um, at the time. And I go back and coach for the same um, coach that I played for. So that transition was, was fairly easy. Uh, but now you're talking about recruiting, and that's when I really learned about um, or I guess I started to learn um, about what it took to go on the road and phone calls and trying to manage your, you know, your time from practice. And, you know, it's not just you don't show up and eat lunch or go out to lunch and then you and then coach your players and then you go home for the night. You know, it's phone calls, it's texts, it's emails, it's calling coaches. Uh, it's trying to organize a roster, um, all that. So I did that for the year. Um and then I ended up, Coach Weathers called back. I stayed in touch with Coach, and then Coach Weathers called back. 
um, at the end of the, what was that? The 06 season, uh, I believe. Yeah, the 06 spring. Um, and offered me the volunteer job. And so I took the volunteer job. Uh, my duties were to co- really coach third base at first. Um, I ended up, you know, growing into hitting infield outfield and doing the infield part, um, which was a big deal for him because he was the infield coach. Um, and then I got my job back at the dock. So I was back on the 5 a.m. grind. I made $5,000 I made five thousand at Cerritos College. Um, I got engaged that fall when I went back. So the so yeah, sorry. So the fall, sorry, the fall. Yeah, sorry. I got engaged and then I got married. So I, I went back to the docks. I got married in the fall of 06. And then I started the volunteer job really from 07 through 2010 until he retired working the job um, in the morning, trying to support my family. Um, and then we ended up having a baby. Rowan was born in the in the in the fall of 2009 um so we had a baby in the spring and then coach weathers retired and that was a whole nother ordeal yeah so i i want to get into that ordeal a little bit because this (laughs) i think is this this is man i I mean i I was reading this story dude I'm, i'm not gonna lie to you dude i got emotional reading and i can only imagine what you felt like going through it but i mean take us through that right because coach weathers retires i mean you're not kept on by Coach Buckley. You're coaching, coaching in Anchorage, Alaska during the summer with a nine-month-old baby and your wife and your mom are all up there. And, you know, they end up leaving and, you know, coming back down to SoCal and you're still in Anchorage. And, uh, I mean, at that, at that point, I mean, you had to feel like a like this lone man on an island, right? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's, you know, it, it, it's funny because – um, perception, right? You, you, you have the perception. I think two of them is, is what you envision your, what, what's the vision for your life. And then you have the reality part. Uh, I honest to God thought I was just going to stay at Long Beach state forever. Um, you know, Dave Snow had, uh, Jim Yogi there who played there and, uh, Don Barber played there and he was on staff there. And, Coach Weathers was there from 2002 through 2010. Um, you know, Troy got there in 2001 and stayed minus the stint in professional baseball for two years, was there through 2019. I mean, so if you look at it, there was not a lot of turnover, you know. And there, I mean, I know some things do happen, but um, for the most part, the guys that stayed within the family of the program stayed there. Um, and so I'll never forget going to taco surf and coach Weathers took, um, Buck and I to lunch. Um, and we go to taco surf and obviously they've talked and I'm glad that they both thought enough of me to tell me in person and coach Weathers, we're sitting there eating lunch and he just comes out with it. He doesn't say, Hey, TJ, I got to talk to you. He goes, I'm retiring tomorrow. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I know we, we had the nine and 10 year weren't great. And I know 10, we started off pretty good. And then we just kind of fell at the end, but he just goes, I'm retiring. And I'm like, holy cow. And I go, well, who's the next coach? And he goes, Oh, Troy's going to be the next guy. 
And so we're all sitting there and I'm nothing talk was about keeping anybody or this and that. I'm like, holy cow. Um, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I think you're stuck. Yeah. You know, for the, I'm, I was married. I'm going to be, you know, quote unquote, the man of the house. I got a baby. And I'm like, he goes, well, hey, your job for the summer is still good, you know, because coach helped with that. And I said, okay. So I went to the summer and making $5,000 again. Um, my <laughs> wife was still going to school. Um, and Rowan was nine months and we had no health insurance. Um, so thankfully, knock on wood. Um, during that transition, nothing really happened. Um, and then, uh, I, I got a call from, you know, I, as they go through the process, Troy started putting together his staff, um, you know, and I was made aware throughout my years at Long Beach that this is a business and, and I understood that. Um, but I also, you know, there's, I, I understood a lot of it. Um, I'm, I still, I, we laugh, we don't laugh about it a whole lot now, but, um, you know, we've taught, we talk about it and it's like, I, I didn't understand and I, I'm not so sure I ever will understand. Um, but the decision was made not to keep me. And, um, like I told him on the phone, I, I don't understand, but I respect your decision because it is your program. And the last thing I did want him to do, I didn't want him to keep me, um, because he felt he needed to. Um, and that way the program wouldn't have grown. Um, and that was, about, it was always, you know, the, the deal at Long Beach was, it was always about the program and it's about what's best for the program and whatever it was, um, he had made the decision. Uh, I got the call, gosh, I went through the whole process. I went through the interview process and a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversation. I was driving from Anchorage to Fairbanks, which is anybody's ever done that drive. It's long. Um, it's lonely. Um, and he called and he goes, Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, offer you the job. I'm going to move on and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Holy cow. Now, what do I do now? It's the middle of the summer. I really thought I was going to go back there and be a paid assistant. Um, so I call my wife and I'm like, Hey, I'm not gonna, I, I didn't make, get this job. Um, you know, this is my plan. My plan is to, I'm going to go through the summer. And if I don't get a job at the end of summer, I feel like I gave it enough time. You know, I didn't feel like I cheated myself in terms of giving myself the opportunity. I grinded, I worked two jobs. I worked, I was a volunteer. I worked in the morning. Um, I had significant jobs and coaching third base in the infields at a, a prominent school. Um, I didn't just turn around and quit when it got tough. So I just said, Hey, we're going to give it throughout the summer and see what happens. Um, and then that's when my life changed. Um, John called, gosh, coach called in the middle of July. They go through this run in Omaha that year. And he kind of knew some changes were going to happen on his staff with coach purse going back in, to Fresno where he's from and being the head coach at, um, Reedley college now still. Um, so he did call, um, in July and says, Hey, I, are you interested in, in the UCLA job? And I'm thinking, what? Yeah, of course, you know, <laughs> what are you joke? talking about? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know. Um, but I'll credit John too, is I interviewed for that job in 2009 when coach purse got the job, which coach purse, we have a history cause he coached at long beach as well. Yeah. Right. So coach purse got the job in 09. I interviewed for that job. Um, 
and I, you know John remembered that I guess or watched and the one thing there's many things that make Coach Savage great um, but one of them is his attention to detail and his, and his awareness and paying attention and um, he must have paid attention um, I would like to thank throughout the time and he hired me in July and he called me and goes, Hey, you got the job. And I did, I thought it was a joke. Uh, and I'm like, really coach, are you sure? And he's like, yep, you want the job. And I'm like, uh, yeah. He goes, would you, have, he goes, do you have to talk to your wife? And I go, no, nope. I don't. <laughs> um, so I accepted the job and he goes, Hey, can you be home August 3rd? And I'm like, I can be home tomorrow. I, I, he goes, Nope, finish out what you're doing. I need you home August 3rd. I said, you got it. So my mom, I actually had to call my mom and say, mom, can you, can you buy my plane ticket home? Cause I didn't have any money. So my mom flew me home and she fast forward to, you know, now it's, I'm sitting in this seat because of John Savage. Yeah. You know, you talked about coach Weathers kind of being a father figure to you. And I got to imagine, you know, him kind of needling you right i mean hey this is the last time i'm gonna call you after you turned me down twice um, <laughs> and and you know then giving you that job but but more importantly saying you gotta go i mean you gotta grow up and you gotta find out if coaching is what you want to do you know i gotta figure i mean just from the outside looking in that coach savage is probably on par with coach weathers in terms of you know the role that they play in your life right yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't, you know, I grow attached to, to people by nature. Um, and then I grow attached to people that have played significant roles and, and, um, and have taken on a, a father figure. And so one was my high school coach who I'm close with to this day. He was just in Reno a few weeks ago, um, visiting us. Um, second is Coach Weathers. Um, and to this day, we talk twice or three times a week to this day. Um, and then the third is John and, um, and they've all impacted my life. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. You always talk about, you know, I, I am a man of faith and God works in, you know, in these, in his moments and they've all impacted my life at the time that I needed them. And one of them was, was coach Weathers telling me that I got to leave. I mean, that's hard to hear. And you're like, what do you mean I got to leave? And he goes, well, I just, I think you need to figure out if you're, if you're ready, if you want to do this, I don't see the commitment from you. I don't this and that. And I'm like, Whoa. Okay. So I do that. And then fast forward through that. He prepped me a lot during my years. Um, and then for him to tell me he's retiring, it was just a huge crushing blow. Um, you know, it's like, it's like your dad passed away, you know, um, which obviously I had to deal with later in life, but, it was like him leaving was just crushing to me. Um, and he stayed, you know, he stayed out of the hiring process. So, you know, he didn't, I know he was in my corner, but he stayed out of it. I think, you know, the one thing about coach is he doesn't want to meddle in somebody else's stuff. You know, he'll give his two cents, but he stayed out of it and let Troy run his program. And, um, and then John came in in July and changed my family's life. I mean, I've always said it. He, he gave my family a heartbeat. And it's the reason I'm sitting in my chair today. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about your time at UCLA before we jump in, you know, deep in the, the philosophies that you've carried over into Nevada. And, I mean, that's really where your career just took off, right? I mean, you mm -hmm. kind of immediately 
Uh, I mean, maybe not immediately, but at least on the surface, um, it looked like a pretty immediate great fit, not only for you, for your family, but but on the recruiting trail, right? I mean, a lot of people think that, hey, it's UCLA, it recruits itself. Yeah, to some extent it might. But, I mean, knowing you as well as I know you and the conversations we've had about players and, and recruiting and stuff, I mean, TJ, I, I got to be honest with you, man. Not many guys work harder than you on the recruiting trail. What What is it that motivates you to work as hard as you did then and continue to do now on the recruiting trail? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, it's funny because we're going through the same with our leadership team <clears throat> on our program right now, you know, and you're starting to develop your why, you know, and um, I, I don't know if I really had a why um, up until Coach Savage called, um, to be honest. So that was the summer of 15, uh, 14. No, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Summer of 10. I'm thinking when I got the job here at Nevada, but summer of 10. Um, and, you know, going to UCLA changed my life, but it all, it changed my life for a lot of reasons. Um, Coach Savage invested something in me um, and saw something, and so I felt like I had to pay it back to him. But I also got the coach. I got the coach for John Savage, and I got to work alongside Rick Vanderhoof. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about young coaches in today's world, I, come on. You, I'm not going to get any two better people in, in our arena than those two on the same staff. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. So yeah. I'll never forget, you know, John, John hired me and I probably from the outside, I bet you it was off the, uh, you know, out of the box hire. Um, but I think for the, his staff, it was perfect because Rick was a recruiting coordinator. Uh, Rick did all the offense. Um, coach obviously is heavily, heavily involved in recruiting. We all know that. Yep. Um, and does all the pitching so that I was the perfect guy to come in and just watch and learn and coach third base and do the infielders, which was really my primary, primarily my job. Um, when I first got there and then another thing happened, um, and this is where I'm going to get into the why part is another thing happened later that, that spring is hooky leaves and takes the head job at Fullerton. So now I'm kind of, you know, I went out and recruited, uh, I went out and recruited, you know, a lot during this time, but I wasn't the lead guy. You know, so Hooky leaves and Hooky goes, hey, you're ready. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, what do you mean you're ready? He goes, you'll be fine. You're all good. And I'm like, for what? He goes, well, I'm leaving. And I go, where are you going? I had no idea. And he goes, I'm the head coach of Cal State Fullerton. I'm like, what? I go, so now what's going to happen? You know, now you're like, okay, now what? And I'm looking left and I'm looking right. And he goes, you're ready. And so I, and so coach called and, you know, we're talking and I'm like, all right. So I, you've heard the term fake it till you make it. And I go, coach, this is what we're going to do. This is what's planned. This is what we got to do. And I'm like, I get off the phone. I'm like, I had no idea what I just said, but I just told him something and I gotta, I can't let his program fail. It's not happening. It's not going to fail. He trusted in me. My job is to make him happy. Hey, and my other job is to help his program win and make him look good. So I, I get into my why and I, and 
I go back to not my conversation of not being hired in 2010 plays a lot, a big part in my, and why I am pushing to be so good. And the other part is, is coach Savage hired me and took a chance on me. And so I know whatever I do moving forward is going to fall back. Not really on me. It will to a degree, but it's going to fall back on him. And I didn't, I don't want that. I didn't want that. I wanted to show the world that or our arena that I was ready, uh, that I should, you know, that I should have been hired in 2010. And also I wanted to prove coach Savage, right. And so from that point on, I did everything I could to make coach Savage look, um, to make him look that he wasn't wrong and hired me and that I was the right guy. And then ultimately I wanted him to win at the highest level. Cause I see what he puts into it every day. Yeah. And I mean, I, I got to imagine that having that sort of you know model or example in front of you, because you're right. I mean, anybody who goes out to a game and, and you, you know, just how involved he is in recruiting and, and just how knowledgeable he is. Right. I mean, his reputation speaks for itself. And you, know, you guys have, you know, number one recruiting class, top five recruiting class, top three recruiting class. And, you know, then it all kind of comes to a head there in 2013 in Omaha for you guys and the national championship. And I mean, when you're, when you're on the field after winning that game, you know, what are you thinking about? I mean, I, I'm curious, right? Because we talked about your story, the 5 a.m. working on the docks. And, you know, I, I got to imagine that you didn't have a cush little office job on the docks, right? And, I mean, what, what, what are you thinking about? Like, what, what, what's the emotion you're feeling? Because I, mean, I can only picture it, you know, from the outside. But I'm curious, what, what is your first thought when you're there? And more, and then secondly, when you first are able to see your family after that game, what, what kind of ran through you? Well, I, I remember, you know, what I go back to is I didn't enjoy Omaha in 2012, you know, and, and I don't mean I didn't enjoy being there. I didn't enjoy, like, I didn't soak it all in, you know, I, I and arrogantly enough, I, I thought you just, you're at UCLA and we have good players and we work hard. So we're just going to go to Omaha every year. Yeah. And so, you know, my first year at UCLA, we win the Pac-12 with Colin Bauer. Uh, my second year at UCLA, we go to Omaha, and I'm like, yeah, this is, I mean, duh, you're supposed to do this every year. Uh, and so I, I didn't really, I didn't just, I didn't soak in the vibe. I didn't soak in Omaha. I don't understand. I didn't understand how hard it was to get there. And I guess I was, my head was in the sand, and you just work hard, and that was your ultimate goal. So if you got there, it wasn't a surprise. And I remember in 13, so um, I remember in 13, we were pretty young still. Our 12, we were really good. So we lose Colin Bauer in, after, in the 11 draft. In 12, um, Hookie leaves. We brought in Coach Peters, uh, and we were super offensive, really old. We were really good. But we were young on the pitching side, um, which fast forward, all those guys were back, Plutko and Vanderteig and David Berg and all those guys were back in, in 13. And we were fairly old in 13 on a lot of things. And um, I remember going in the season like, okay, we're pretty good. 
um, how can we manage it? And thankfully enough, I didn't have to as an assistant. Coach Savage did it. But you just run through these thoughts, and then we play. Gosh, I don't know who. We, I forget who we played in the Supers. I think it might have been TCU in the Supers um, at home. And we're on the first base side, and we're up big in the last inning. And I'm like, okay, we're going to Omaha. We're going to Omaha. And I remember I positioned Pat Valeka wrong against David Berg. And I remember Coach looked at me, and I'm like, I can feel him, like, staring at me, like, <laughs> you know, staring. And it's an uncomfortable feeling. And I'm like, gosh, I just cost – I mean, I'm telling you, we're probably up eight or nine runs with two outs to go. And I'm like, he's just staring at me, and I'm gonna, I just cost us a chance to go to Omaha with David Berger on the mound, potentially the greatest closer of all time in college baseball. Yeah. And um, we end up winning, and we go. And I remember I, I just I, I soaked up that moment for sure. Uh, but then I got on a plane to go recruit the next morning. So we win Friday and Saturday. We go two and zero in the supers. And I got on a plane. I got on a plane Sunday morning. I met our team in Omaha. So I get on a plane. I fly to Minneapolis. I'm there for, I don't know, seven days. Um, and I meet the team the night before we open up. Um, in Omaha, I forget who it was against. Um, I'm trying to think, but I, I don't know who it was against. So we meet the team. But then fast forward, man, we go through this thing. We go 10-0 and 0 in the postseason. We beat four number one seeds. Um, to win the national title. And I just – I remember two things. I remember, A, the look on Coach Savage's face when we won because I was standing right next to him because um, I had to position the infield. Well, let me back up. Uh, I get Brian – Brian Carroll scores. Or we're up 7 nothing on a bang-bang play in the eighth inning. In a, a single to center, Brian Carroll scores. We wave him in. You know, there's it's the eighth inning. It's you're up seven nothing. Do you score me or not? I'm like, hey, I'm in Omaha. There is no way I'm <laughs> I'm stopping this guy, right? No, not enough runs are enough. And we get in and we score. And I, I walk in the dugout, and Coach goes, "Hey, Coach, um, let's let's uh, let's let's not." Let's not, you know, rub it in anybody's face, okay? And I'm like, oh, no. I just woke up <laughs> sleeping giant, blah, blah, blah. So fast forward, right? We win. And two things, Coach Savage, the emotion on his face um, and all the hard work he puts in to his program. And I, I just couldn't be happier. And I remember the other side is when I saw my wife on the field, I remember telling her this is why we work so hard. And I didn't say I, I, I said we, because she works hard, just as hard, if not harder at home, than, and allows me to do this thing. And I just remember being super emotional about those two things um, and just trying to enjoy as much as, much as I could, um, you know, after winning a national title. I mean, it was – but what Coach Savage did for me and my family – um, and to see him experience – now, he has a national title as an assistant at USC, but to see him get his own championship, um, I, I don't know. I, I was so emotional over those two things that um, it was just – that's all I wanted him to do. I just wanted him to win, and that's, that's all I cared about. Yeah, that, that, I mean, I fantastic. I, I'm glad you, you brought that up. I mean, just because – 
I mean, I can only imagine the emotion going through you. But then fast forward now to July of 2015, and <laughs> you're named the head coach of the University of Nevada. And again, Coach Savage plays a big role in that for you. Um, but, I mean, to your own credit, right, I mean, you, your reputation preceded you, right? I mean, I remember I remember waking up at 6 in the morning. I already got a text from you about some kids. <laughs> you're driving down to see in San Diego or something. It's like, I mean, you just – I knew it then. Like, at some point, this guy is going to be a head coach. But, I mean, you get your first opportunity to be a head coach at a D1 program. And, uh, you know, you take over a program that had some success there under Jay. And uh, I read somewhere that, you know, Jay actually played a role in that for you too, right? Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, man, I, I think when you come down to it, you know, I, I think a lot of it's relationships, um, you know, and I do know how I come off sometimes. Um, but I think people that know me and deep down, though, I, I'm super transparent, super truthful, um, you know, but I do enjoy working and I just want to get my head down and work. I mean, so I may come off in different areas, but I remember I was in Fort Myers, Florida. I'll never forget it. And um john calls and goes hey uh well back up so i was in oxnard seeing a guy by the name as we all know hunter varant and uh i think it was him and so i'm seeing him and blah 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 and the job comes open jay just takes the job at arizona so jay and i at the time and we're still pretty close but jay and i were pretty close at that time you know, because we the bat the recruiting battle between San Diego and UCLA. You yeah. know, I think um, you know we were both in our own arenas, um, but we we leaned on each other. But also, it was a competitive friendship. Like, hey, I'm going to get this guy, and you're not, and I'm going to go down and get Brady Aiken, or he's going to come up and get this guy, or whatever. And there's always a, a ton of mutual respect and a friendship, and. Uh, anyway, so we're in Fort Myers and John calls and goes, hey, uh, are you interested in the Nevada job? And I remember vividly sitting there on the first base side. It's 99 percent humidity. It's 100 degrees outside. And he goes, are you interested? And I said, I, I'm not sure. I go, coach, if you tell me I need to be interested, then I'm interested. If you tell me no then I'm going to get off the phone and I, I got, I got some players to watch and I'm going to come back to you. And he goes, I think it's an unbelievable school. I think it's an unbelievable community. I think you should be interested. I said, then I'm interested, you know, cause at that time I, I in all honesty, I, I don't know if I dreamed of being a head coach. And I think that was part of his upbringing throughout his system was be present where you're at and help the program win. And that's all I focused on, you know, whether that was taking another assistant job, because throughout the time there's assistant jobs were being offered, you know, and a step up per se in job title, um, like running an offense, um, doing all that. I didn't do that stuff. If you show it. Yeah, I, and I did handle one of the main facets, which was recruiting. But, you know, there's I, I did want to run the offense at some point. So but I didn't leave because I. A, I wasn't going to get anybody better than Coach Savage, A. And B, I didn't want to let him down. Um, so fast forward to that, I said, yeah, I should. he goes, you should be interested. So I fly from Fort Myers. I had to go see an event in, an event in Phoenix. And I remember telling our AD, I said, hey, I got some things I have to do. Um, can I – 
can I just, can you fly me from Phoenix into Reno? And he goes, yeah, no problem. You don't want to go home first. I said, no, I have, you know, I got to recruit. And so I flew to Phoenix. I bought a suit in Phoenix and I have no idea. My wife dresses me when it comes to that stuff. <laughs> and I, and I had no idea what to buy. So I'm like on FaceTime and blah, blah, blah. And, um, so I buy the suit. I fly from Phoenix to Reno. Um, then I had to fly. I had to have them fly me back from Reno to Phoenix because I had to finish the job that I was doing. I had a job. That, that's what I had to do. Yeah. Um, it was work for UCLA. And then I fly home and I, and I'll never forget. I interviewed. Uh, and then in the meantime, I was talking to coach cause he was helping. He's from Reno strong ties here. And then obviously I had a relationship with Jay and, uh, Jay, told Doug, if you're going to hire anybody, this is the guy you got to hire. And so those two things played a huge part. Um, And I now always say, you know, you can work as hard as you want, but if you don't have the relationships of the people, you know, then I I just think it's going to be hard to come by because everybody's so competitive with where they're at. We're all at the same level. We've all won championships and this and that, but what's going to separate us? And those two things, I believe, played a huge separator. Um, and I think John obviously being number one, um, uh, being from here and being in this program. And, um, so I got the job at, at Nevada and, um, I remember Doug calling and says, Hey, you, uh, I want to offer you the job. And I go, okay, I need to talk to my wife. And I do remember that. And I go, I got to talk to my wife. My wife was just granted, not granted, but just got the job of principal at our parish so at saint cyprian school uh, it's a k through eight she just got the job of uh, being the principal at 32 years old i just got offered the head coaching job at 32 years old yeah. uh, and so now you're like holy cow now what do we do and i remember just we you know a long uh, old friend of ours told us long ago you got to pick somebody's career and follow them and that there's no resentment, nothing. And um, so we, we ultimately were going to follow my career. Uh, we decided that years ago, but um, I got the job at, at Nevada. And uh, I've been here now going on my fifth or sixth season now, I guess, next year. Yeah. And so, you know, you've had some success in those six years. And, you know, ultimately it comes down to players and, and, and you know, you're – reputation as a recruiter we've, we've touched on that and i want to get into that with you because you know nevada's a i won't call it a unique place but it's a place where um, you know they've had some success uh, in the past and you know it's a desirable destination for baseball players i mean let, let's face it i mean it is what it is right i mean you play high level baseball you're going to get coached um, you know, I call it the dirt, the, the dirt bags North. I mean, with your staff now, I mean, um, you know, it, you know, let, so let's talk about recruiting and, and, you know, what, what are you looking for when it comes to recruits, right? Everybody talks about, you know, we want athletes, we want, <coughs> excuse me, we want guys who can play the game, obviously, but, you know, there's a lot more to it than that when it comes to recruiting, as you well know, uh, you know, a whole lot better than I do. Uh, but let, let's talk about that. What what are you looking for 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 potential, you know, Nevada recruits? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a great question, because like you said, I think anybody can see the guy throwing 95 or the, anybody can see the guy that runs, you know, that runs a, a, a you know, a six, five, sixty, or they can run three, nine down the line. But 
I think what you're looking for, um, we, we basically have put it into our core values in our program. Um, and we've had success because we've had some good players. Uh, but I think as you're getting into recruiting, like you said, is I think you got to put what's your off the field core values. And then the, do they align with your program? And I think when you do, when you do that, the, the recruiting does get a little simpler. Um, and not that it's ever really simple, but I think it becomes the clarity is a little more. Um, so we've we've put it into our our core values, and and one of them's loyalty, uh, one of them's respect, one of them's love, one of them's respond, one of them's accountability, and the last one is courage. You know, so how how do those six core values align? How do they? What's the definition within your program? A, and then what's the, do these potential student athletes? Do they have these core values? Now, are they going to have all six? They may or may not. I don't really know. You know, some some do, some don't. Um, but like love, right? It's like, can they handle the style of love that I give? It, it may be tough love at times. It may be, you know, put my arm around them. But do they love the game too? I think that's that's another one. Uh, that's that's one that's underestimated right now. Do they love to play? You know, so if you want to define all these different things. Um, and that, that's how we've done it. Um, and that's, that's, you know, it's been altered here and there, but I think those, those ultimately are, are what we, what we look for those six things. And then now you get into the physical tools and now you, you kind of try to marry the two together. Um, and then you, you should have a pretty good player, um, when when it's all said and done. So. I, I love to dive into the off the field stuff. Um, I do love evaluating. I, I really do. And I think you know that I love sitting back and trying to make a decision as fast as I could. Um, sometimes, you know, I should let it play out a little bit more, but I love seeing what I see. And does this swing work? Does that arm work? Well, this guy has an upside down arm, so he's not going to be able to get on top of a breaking ball. So he's never really going to have a slider. It's going to be a slur. I love all that stuff. You know, I love looking at a pitcher and working from the ground up because most of everybody works from the top down. So I'm the other way in that. Uh, I, I do. I, I like that. But um, I think at some point you're going to have to develop some core values to your program and to your style. Um, and, and those are our six. Um, so, you know, and that's that's how I think you'll sustain success through the long haul. How is how has recruiting changed for you going from UCLA to Nevada? I mean, are you are you looking? I mean, you've never been one to shy away from a you know recruiting battle, if you will, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I gotta imagine that that's still the same. But I mean, are you still looking at the same type player, the same level player? Are you still throwing your hat in the ring for you know these? the these quote famous guys end quote um you know so how has that changed for you i think the only thing that's changed um really is you know we're, we're not moving at the pace of of those power five schools you know we're not into uh, you know it's like when i left ucla in 15 i mean we were already through almost through 2019 i think at the time um kind of feels like it was decades ago, but the talking 19, but we were almost through that. So like the Garrett Mitchell, who's going to be a first round pick tomorrow. And, you know, those guys were already committed um, to the school. So, um, you know, 
move now moving at Nevada, we're not going at that pace anymore. Uh, we're not as fast on the recruiting trail, which brings me back to the old school way of recruiting where, you know, when I was playing, it was July one was when you really, your recruiting started of your senior year or your junior summer, you know, so you, the area code games that I played in, no one was committed. You know, now the area code games, now you're just really going to babysit your players. Um, so that that's changed a look. That's really the only thing that's changed. Um, we let the evaluation process play out a little more, which is which is good. I, I, I do like that part as well. Uh, it's a little nerve wracking for me more because my my motor is to go and recruit and make a decision and, and move on to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy. Um, but we've really we've really um, slowed it down a little bit. Uh, but there again, it, we'll we'll get into the weeds with with the big boys um, if, if if it calls for it. You know, it's like Owen Sharks is a perfect example. Uh, I mean, that was one of the first guys we committed when I got here was Owen, and I believe he was two years out. Of, I think he was a sophomore in high school at the time, um, and he had all these trips to all these other schools. And uh, but that was a that was. We'll, we'll throw our hat in the ring for sure, and we're not afraid to back down. And we feel like we can create an experience that that somebody else can't because of a the area. Um, I mean, you live in one of the most beautiful cities that I've ever been in. Um, B the community. C you got Lake Tahoe right outside. Um, you know, and then you got development. I mean, uh, you got guys. You got. I don't think you're going to find a whole lot of staffs. And I, that have developed the players that this staff has developed. I mean, or been around those high caliber players. I mean, look, just if you wanted to go down the list, I mean, from Weaver to Tulo to Abe Alvarez, who's now on staff, um, to Kevin Kramer, Pat Valleca, Bo Am- I mean, all these guys, Cole, Garrett Cole, and Trevor Bob. I mean, come on. It's like, yeah. I'll, I'll, put those, I'll put those numbers up against anybody. Yeah, absolutely. You touched on it there, right? Going early on, guys. Do you think that's something that's sustainable in the long run for the college game? You know, that's a good question. I, I don't. I'm not sure. I, I don't. Um, I think. You know, the one thing at UCLA from being there was John prided us on evaluating, and you better know. You know, you basically better know how to evaluate. Uh, you know, because John wasn't one to. Uh, he always, when we committed a guy, we committed the guy, and that guy was our guy for the long haul, and. Um, I, I don't know. I think, I think it's getting a little more dicey. I feel like now I feel like I'm seeing a lot more decommits like, you know, and you've seen it too. I feel like you're seeing it. Um, I feel like you may be seeing guys almost holding players. Oh, this guy may be something. Um, so I'm going to commit him and let's just follow him. If he doesn't pan out, then we'll just let him go. Um, I think there again, I think that's where the values come in, Uh, you know, because at some point in your life, you're not going to be a coach. Uh, And I know I do know for a fact when you go down into when, you know, when when you're not on this earth anymore and you're at your funeral, they're not going to be talking about your wins or losses. You know, so I, I think that's why we've developed these core values and that's why we really evaluate off the core values and that's that's really where 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 i think you have to stay you have to have an identity to it other than just go getting the next best guy and i think i think that's how that's how you're going to sustain success yeah and so 
with the you know with what's everything that's happened here how is how is recruiting changed for you i mean i gotta imagine a lot of guys are saying you know hey it's still a lot of phone calls still you know as you said doing your due diligence on guys but how has it changed for you you know during this you know lockdown pandemic whatever choice of words you want to put on it well i the first thing and john told me this long ago the a lot of your answers with recruiting are inside your program. And I never really understood that, you know, because I think normally the, the, by nature, you know, you need a catcher. So go out and get one. You need a shortstop, go out and get one, you know, and I think that's by nature. Um, but I think you always have to look from the inside out and that's really what this time's allowed us to do. So you want to talk about, recruiting and future classes now there sometimes it calls to go get those guys for sure uh but as we move forward to future classes the third baseman may be within our program so we've really dove into our program um in terms of numbers and players um i mean we're making our calls and we're watching the video and doing all that stuff and really just gearing up to when we can go back out and evaluate. So we kind of have a prep list. So we know who to go out on August 1st, if, if that's when the time calls. Um, but really, you know, you need a 21 second baseman or an offensive second baseman. Okay, so who on our team fits that role? You know, who on our team, is there a catcher that can be the first baseman after Dylan Strum leaves in, in the June of 21? Yeah, there probably is one. You know, so that's really what, how we've done it. Um, and that, that just goes back to the finer details of where I come from. I mean, I, I don't think – I don't know who's doing it that way. I got to imagine I'm not the first one, that's for sure. But still, I think it's hard to do because I think by nature you just want to go get out, go get the next best guy. Yeah, and, and so the development of players right now seems to be a big topic, right? I mean – these guys, in a lot of cases, are not going to be able to play this summer. Uh, for those guys that you know planned on playing some of these leagues that has been canceled, how big of a concern is that for you? the The lack of development in missing, you know, almost an entire spring, with the exception of a month, and potentially the entire summer. Uh, probably not as much as it is to other people. For me, I mean, it's it's. It's it, it, it's something I don't I'm not sure I know what it is yet, but it's it's it'll be something. Um, but there again, it's like at some point, you know, I'm a big advocate of playing two sports. So at some point you're going to have to sit and not play baseball um, or I would have hoped at some point you did not in your high school career. You played football or soccer or basketball or you did something else because mm-hmm. um, I think that just develops the person. Um, a lot more than just the baseball player and you'll be more well-rounded. Uh, but I just, I look at it as the opportunity. I think it's all how you're going to look at it too. I mean, if you're going to sit here and dwell on these guys not playing all summer, ah, man, I just, I'm not sure. Cause I think the number one thing that us college coaches, um, always talk about is their bodies. We're always talking about, we want bigger bodies. We want more physical. We want this, we want that. Well, here's the time to do it right now. Yeah. You want to talk about getting in the weight room right now. I mean, you can put on 20 pounds this summer. Yeah. All your most of your players barring, you know, some metabolism or some some other body individualities that they do have, uh, 
that's how we're looking at it. So I, to be honest, we haven't talked. I haven't talked to our players one time about hitting or throwing or none of that. Um, we've done. We've done a leadership. We're right in the middle of a leadership group with our team. Um, we're, so we're we're trying to develop everything else but the physical tools. Um, now there's some, there's obviously you know our pitchers are shut down right now. Uh, you know our our hitters will ramp up here pretty soon in terms of some hit some drill packages and all that stuff. But really not. I want to develop all these other aspects that we never really have enough time to develop. And I go back to when the times changed in early 2000 or really late nineties, 2000 Dave snow always told me this, the practice hours changed. And so the mental game was huge at long beach state with Ken Revisa. So Ken Revisa called snowman and says, Hey, well, I guess the practice hours changed. So you're not going to be able you're not going to use me as much. And Dave goes, I need you now more than ever. So yeah. he was willing to put aside the physical activity for the mental side of the game. So he was way above his way, way ahead of his time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think right now that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to slow things down even more so than anything else. Yeah, the, the two sport guys. So when you're out evaluating those dudes and, you know, you're at, say, like an area code tryout, right, where you see a guy that's baseball only, you know, a skill set's maybe a little bit sharper versus a two-sport guy or maybe even a three-sport guy whose, you know, baseball acumen might be a step or two behind. How do you how do you compare them? Because obviously you're not comparing apples to apples. So when you evaluate that guy, you know, I'm, I presume it's more on the projection and, hey, if we, you know, maybe tinkered a little bit here, we might get this result. So how do you, how do you, how do you, you know, align those guys with those, you know, on your prep list, if you will, you know, when it comes to a, a multi-sport guy versus a baseball only guy? Yeah, I mean, I think you're still evaluating the tools. You still got to, obviously, you still got to evaluate the physical and the mental side of the tools and, do they align with your program? Um, but I, I, there's always, you know, you hear this word a lot is projection. I think this guy could be that, and and I think you sometimes you got to hold on to that stuff. I think I think you got to intertwine some of that. And I think if you believe in development, which where I come from, my background, I do believe in development. Then you're you're going to take those guys. Um, and I think the other part is you got to put into account what the other sports have taught these guys. You know, I look at James Caprillion, which comes to mind right off the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, James didn't play in the area code games. Why? Because James was playing football at Beckman High School. Yeah. You know, so James didn't do a whole lot. I saw James in the CIF semifinals at Dodger Stadium kind of right when he was becoming something, you know, along with uh, some other coaches. And I, I, I just I, – I think – people don't put enough value on those other sports and what it could have taught them. And if you know cap and how he does things, man, it was an unbelievable, it was an unbelievable gift for us. Um, he performed to exactly what he was, was supposed to be. Um, and that's why I eventually ended up being a first rounder. So, um, I think you got to put. I think you got to put a lot of stock in all of it. You got to evaluate all of it. There's no really smaller there's no smaller details. They're all details. They're all fine. You got to look for the finite ones that, 
you know, what's football taught them? Is there strength? Is there core strength? Is there some physical toughness to where what's baseball taught them and align those with his tools and kind of see what you can draw up. And then you align everything else um, off the field. I think you, you'll end up finding that you'll, you'll get the guy that's right for your program. Yeah, you, you touched a little earlier on, on the fall scholarships and, you know, you can elaborate on that <laughs> if, if you wish. Um, but, you know, in addition to, athletic scholarships right and and we can talk on that all day right with the 11.7 the the kind of limitations that puts on it but Nevada is in a really unique position in that it offers what's called the wooey right and I, I think a mm-hmm. lot of people don't know what the wooey is so why don't you tell us a little bit about that yeah the fall scholarship a was when I was playing at Long Beach I only had a fall scholarship and I didn't perform very good in the fall so it got cut in the spring so, um, and I just thought that's how it always was. So when we played in the spring, I was on, I was a walk on and thankfully I was a local kid. So I, I you know, you paid six or $7,000 for the semester or the year, I mean, whatever it may be. And, um, so it was pretty affordable, but, uh, you know, when it comes to the Louie, we got something so unique when it comes to that, that we have a chance to waive your out of state, um, your out-of-state costs. So it really just happened, you know, all the bordering states have what they call the WUI, and then we also have what they call the Nevada Advantage, which is a step below that. So the WUI uh, roughly gives you about $12,000 off. So it covers your out-of-state costs if you meet some academic requirements, right? And then the Nevada Advantage, um, they put this in a few years ago, it covers $9,000 off. So you're talking um, twelve. 12 grand is a little, I think it's 29%. So we can go after a kid. We can go after a kid and offer them wooey. And it counts. It doesn't count against us for 29%, but they're already at 29%. Yeah. So um, then we, then you offer 25% with it. Now you got a pretty good package. Uh, now that's where, that's where it gets a little dicey because I think you, you can't just go, you got to go after, um, an academic player. You got to go after somebody that values school because you do have to keep up with some things throughout school um, throughout the year. So that 29% doesn't count against us, but it allows so much flexibility. Um, so when it comes to our 11-7, we've rarely had an issue uh, when it comes to 11-7 because we have we have that Louis and Nevada advantage. And it's such a huge help because as you know, there's 11-7 not even close to enough for baseball um with 35 guys on roster yeah yeah no doubt so you know with with the cancellation of the spring season obviously you miss you know all the time with the guys on the field and being around your staff and you know just everything that comes with the baseball season but but what's been for you the biggest challenge to deal with with the cancellation of the season well, I think number one, I think I think the biggest challenge is staying connected with your players. Um, I know people say, you know, well, you got Zoom and you got text and you got this. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm not – I'd rather talk to our players one-on-one. I don't like to text them, you know, different things. I, I like to talk to them one-on-one because I, li- I think there's so much value in, in, in their response. And you can read body language, you can read demeanor and all that stuff. So that's probably been the biggest challenge 
is how do you stay connected? How do you stay creative and being connected um, with your team? Because it's so easy to forget uh, for them to forget all the values that they've learned throughout the year, especially if you're just a, if you're a freshman, think about it. You've only really had a few months in school. Um, so you haven't really learned the way of an entire program just yet because you didn't get to see how it's going to be run in the spring. So our freshmen coming back next year, they're, they're really freshmen again because they didn't go through an entire spring to not play for a few weeks when you're the high school superstar and then all of a sudden you're the guy at the end that's starting in center field or whatever it may be or the guy in front of you gets hurt and how'd you handle that and blah 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 so that for me has been a challenge um and then staying connected with your staff um i think those are the two things that you know i i you know if anybody tells you different i don't know then i i think I think there's some, there's maybe they're not saying it truthfully is enough, but I think those have been the two things um, for me personally that's been a challenge. Um, so, and what do you think this will lead to any changes in the college game? Yeah, I gotta imagine. I gotta imagine there's gonna be some changes. Uh, I'm not sure what. Uh, but I got to imagine there's going to be some changes within the game and, and whether it's a schedule, whether it's recruiting. Uh, but I, I think this is there again, I think it's opportunity. And I think all these things, um, they happen, um, and they happen for a reason. So I think, I think it's a, it's, it's a way to take a good hard look at our, at our game and how well our game has grown over the time. Um, and so I feel like if you're just going to use this as an opportunity to limit us and our game, um, I think that's the wrong way you're looking at this thing. I think it's it, it's so college baseball so mainstream now uh, that this should be an opportunity for the NCAA to look at us and say, how can we better grow the game? Because it's growing at a rapid pace. And uh, obviously there's a lot of guys that are on the forefront of that, you know, Coach Savage and Corbin and Sully at Florida and uh, McDonald at Louisville. I mean, Backets and all these guys are so on the forefront of that. And, gosh, I would hate to see um, this not using an opportunity to grow our game um, and not restrict it. Yeah, it seems as though college baseball is just on an upward trajectory, right? It's never been more popular. It's never been more accessible. I mean, you can watch – you know, games from just about any conference, either online or on TV. And, you know, I, I love some of the stuff you, you're hearing. Are you are you familiar with any of the, the you know, kind of proposition or idea that, that Backage has in terms of, you know, the, the season starting later? And, and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, Eric, um, Eric, you know, Eric, man, he's yeah. super intelligent. And you want to talk about a guy that has a motor. Oh, boy. Yeah. No um, he, he has a motor that's, that's unmatched. And, um, so just being, having a relationship with Eric and, you know, whatever he's going to put out there is well thought of a, um, and it's going to make a lot of sense. I like it. Uh, I think it makes a ton of sense from an injury standpoint, from a college standpoint. And I've always thought I, I'd never really understood why the college game doesn't more align with the pro game. Um, if you were to look at that in terms of schedules, uh, you know, it's like college football aligns with the NFL and um, all this stuff. So I always thought that was a little odd. But what Eric put out there, um, I really enjoyed reading it. I really 
I think I think there's a lot of truth to it, and I think you could see. I'm hoping that everybody's listening because what's out there that you, it's another way for us to grow the game, um, and I think it's another way to bring us closer with the professional sport. Yeah, I I agree with you 100. percent And yeah, I can't wait to talk to Eric about kind of the methodology behind that too, because. I mean, you're right. It's a great opportunity to grow the college game right now, and and it's at an all-time high. So hopefully, it continues to grow. But TJ, great chat. Before I let you go, though, man, we do a, a coach's rapid fire here. Just ask you a bunch of questions. Kind of a fun way to close the show out. Uh, you know, just first thing that pops into your mind. You know, fire away. So if you're ready to roll, I'm ready to roll. All right, man. Let's do it. Right, here we go. Small ball or gorilla ball? Uh, based on your team. Country or classic rock? Uh, classic rock. Costco or Sam's Club? Costco. In and out or five guys? In and out. College football or the NFL? College football. Trackman or Rapsodo? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that one, I don't know. Uh, we, we only have, I don't know. We have Rapsodo, so I guess Rapsodo. All right. Uh, member, most memorable team you played on? <laughs> 2004 Long Beach State team. Most memorable team you've been a part of as a coach? Easy, 2013 UCLA. Favorite vacation spot? Hawaii. Cable or stream? Cable, for sure. Mac or PC? Mac, 100%. Uh, Favorite sports team? Uh, What sport? Just favorite sports team. (laughs) (laughs) The Raiders and the Dodgers. Uh, best singer on the team? Mm. Whoa. Probably a guy that just graduated, Jalen McLaughlin. Uh, best dancer on the team? Probably Coach Alvarez. Oh, nice. Oh, boy. Good oh, yeah. It. <laughs> Favorite stadium you've ever been in? Holy cow. Um, Omaha. All right, last one. Go-to song to sing in the shower. Oh, man. I'm such a – I love music. Um, Worship music. Nice. Awesome. TJ, man, I can't can't thank you enough for making some time, man, and telling us about your story and, you know, all about Nevada baseball. It's just a a thrill to have you on the podcast, man. No problem, Les. I appreciate you having me, and uh, keep up the good work. Appreciate it, but I hope to see you out at the field soon. (laughs) <laughs> Me too. I hope so. Talk to you soon. All right, buddy. We'll see you. All right. Well, thank University of Nevada head coach TJ Bruce for joining me on the show today. Be sure to check out PrepBaseballReport.com for all your news and information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard. <laughs>